If you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 65. Um, I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 16 uh, on the church Bible. You see there on the screen, that's on page uh, 752. So that's Isaiah 65, 1 to 16. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me, to a nation that did not call on my name. I said, here am I, here am I. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. A people who continually provoke me to my very face offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold broth of impure meat, who say, keep away, don't come near me, for I am too scared for you. Such people are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that keeps burning all day. See, it stands written before me, I will not keep silent, but will pay back in full. I will pay it back into their laps, both your sins and the sins of your ancestors, says the Lord. Because they burned sacrifices on the mountains and defied me on the hills, I will measure into their laps the full payment for their former deeds. This is what the Lord says. As when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes, and people say, don't destroy it, there is still a blessing in it, so will I do on behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, those who will possess my mountains. My chosen people will inherit them, and there will my servants live. Sharon will become a pasture for flocks, and the valley of Achor a resting place for herds, for my people who seek me. But as for you who forsake the Lord, and forget my holy mountain, who spread a table for fortune and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny. I will destine you for the sword, and all of you will fall in the slaughter. For I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart. And wail in brokenness of spirit. You will leave your name for my chosen ones to use in their curses. The sovereign Lord 
will put you to death. But to his servants, he will give another name. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. Whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God. For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. Thanks very much, Nathan. Well, we all face choices in life every day, don't we? From the moments we get up in the morning. Maybe what should I wear today? Not a tough decision for most men here, possibly. Um, how, should I, how should I wear my hair today? Not a tough choice for me there, either. What should I have for my breakfast? Again, quite easy for me. Weetabix, Marmite on Toast, cup of tea. But then as the day goes on, maybe the decisions become a bit tougher, particularly if you're in the workplace and you're facing difficult challenges every day. And then there are the big life choices that uh, many of our young people may be having to face soon. What career should I take up? Who should I marry? Where should I live? Then there are the, the choices maybe a nation has to make, um, like Greece this past week. Austerity? Or austerity or it isn't it it's not a huge choice for them sadly but by far the biggest choice we all have to make is who or what am I going to worship what is going to be the most important thing or most important person in my life and the thing is a lot of people have not consciously actually made that decision but if you look at all the little decisions that they make in their life how they've spent their money how they spend their time you'll see who or what they have chosen to worship, whether they're aware of it or not. And although there are, there are a lot of things we could choose to worship, what we'll see from this passage this morning is that they can be reduced to two. Will we worship God or will we worship something else? It's really two ways to live. But another way, will we submit to Jesus as king or will we make ourselves king of our lives? And the reason that is the biggest choice that any of us can make is because it affects our eternity, where we will spend the rest of eternity. And ultimately, as we will see, God will ensure that we spend eternity where we want to, where our hearts want to go. Well, the context of this chapter here last week, uh, at the end of chapter 64, we finished with that question. Have a look at verse 12 of uh, chapter 64. I said, after all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Well, right at the beginning of uh, chapter 65, God makes clear that no, he won't be silent, <clears throat> that actually he has made himself known. Have a look at that first verse. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I. Here am I. God has made himself known. A primary school teacher once um, asked her class to paint a picture of whatever they wanted. And uh, after a while, she came around to see how they'd been getting on, and uh, uh, most of them had painted pictures of uh, animals or nice uh, landscapes, maybe their mum and dad. But there was one child there who'd done a bit of an abstract painting, very colourful, and um, teacher uh, asked her little Charlie, well, that's very nice, um, well, what is it? And they said, well, 
that's God. And the teacher said, well, nobody's ever seen God. And Charlie looked at her and said, well, they have now. (laughs) The Bible tells us that God is spirit, he's invisible. We don't know what God looks like. And therefore, a common question from those who don't believe is, well, if God is really there, why doesn't he make himself known? Why doesn't he make himself clear and reveal himself to us? But the thing is, God has made himself known in various different ways. Um, for example, the world in which we live. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. When you look at the world, you have to ask yourself certain questions, don't you? I'm sure they will come up automatically. Where did it come from? Where did this world come from? How did it come into existence? If there was a Big Bang, then who caused that Big Bang to happen? If something comes from nothing, surely there must be something to have caused that to come into existence. How come it's so so finely tuned? Um, I'm not a scientist by any means, um, but scientists will agree that if all things for life to be to happen, there need to be a lot of things that need to be in place. And just for one of those constants to be off by just a, a tiny fraction means there would be no life, there would be no stars, galaxies, planets, etc. And when you ask atheists that question, how do you respond to that? Well, they say, well, there could be trillions of galaxies, and this is therefore just probability that one of those has all those things to be in the right place at the right time for that to happen. Laws of nature. Why does water boil under identical conditions from one day to the next? Um, How is it if you know the weight of an object and you drop it, you know exactly uh, how quickly it's going to land on the ground? How come the world is so beautiful and varied? Last year in Morocco we saw some amazing sights. We went to visit the the desert and just to see the different contours, the shapes. um, um, And then as the the sun changed different times of the day to see the different colours and shades. Um, It was quite an amazing, uh, amazing view. Our brain doesn't just analyse something and, and comes to the idea that must be beautiful. We sense beauty, don't we? Feel beauty inside us. We are built to understand it. There are apparently 8.7 million different species on this planet. Um, although most of those haven't been identified yet, that's just an estimate. I think uh, um, 86% of land dwelling species, 91% in the water have yet to be discovered, apparently. So um, it is an amazing uh, world in which we live. But it's not just the world in which we live that helps us to know God. That's not just the only way he's revealed himself. It's also in ourselves, isn't it? It's incredible there are billions of people on this planet, and yet we are each unique. Not just in the way we look, the things we do, but the way we think. And most of our life is taken up by thinking, isn't it? Um, we're doing that all the time. Right now, as I speak, some of you will be concentrating 100% on what I'm saying. Maybe. Um, Most of you have something else going on in the back of your mind. Uh, It might be something quite serious going on in your life at the moment. It may just be Roger Roger Federer this afternoon. Is he going to win or not? The thing is, our thoughts are important to us, aren't they? Um, 
It's difficult to believe that they're just wasted, that nobody else, no superior being can understand what we're thinking. That seems to be a natural thing. We also have a sense of what is right and wrong. Um, Where does that come from? Is it just what we've been taught? It's more than that, isn't it? Um, We have a sense of of, of expecting to be treated with, with fairness and respect. But not every creature has that. Humans have that. Animals, do they have that? Um, they don't, do they? Our pet uh, house rabbit um, can look like it's asleep, but um, the slightest sound, it will be awake because it's afraid of a predator. That predator won't have any respect for that rabbit. It will tear it apart. But the world in which we live, the way we have been made, um, are really just clues about a creator God. The real proof comes in the fact that God took on human form. He came to live in this world. And that coming of Jesus was prophesied by Isaiah to whom God has spoken hundreds of years before he came. And the prayer warriors we looked at in the last couple of weeks uh, were praying that he would come. That God would send him as he had promised to do. When he did come, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus was quite surprised. He answered, uh, this was Philip. He said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If we've seen Jesus, we've seen God, because Jesus is God. Now, you may say, well, he's not here now, is he? He was here 2,000 years ago, but I can't see him. Um, and there we can't. But while he lived on earth, thousands of people did see him. They did hear him. They did witness his miracles. And we have the record of that in the Bible. And that is why the Bible is so important. That is how God has also revealed himself to us through his word. It's the record also of his son coming to this world, bringing the gift of salvation. Jesus didn't just claim to be God. He demonstrated that he was God in what he said Uh, And what he did, he proclaimed the good news of salvation. And he even forgave sins, which is only something that God himself can do. He brought the dead back to life. And he came back to life himself. God has revealed himself. The problem is not God's silence. (coughs) So what is the problem? Let's come back to Isaiah 65. Because immediately in verse 2, having said, here I am, here I am. It says, all day long I've held out my hands to an obstinate people. God is holding out his hands. He's offering a chance of a relationship. He's not forcing them on them. All day long he's holding out his hands, waiting for people to come. And yet, people are obstinate, it says, says they walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. People would rather make their own plans, follow their own schemes, even if they're not good. Our sinful nature means we would rather have God on our terms and not his. And this is deliberate disobedience. Verse 3 carries on a people who continually provoke me to my very face. We can't just ignore God because he knows that he's there. If we ignore him, we are deliberately disobeying him. 
these people are happy to create their own religions. Look what it goes on to say at uh, the end of verse 3. Offering sacrifices in gardens, burning incense on altars of brick. We are expected to appreciate the world that God has put us in, that he's given us to look after. But um, we're not expected to worship it as the world, as if the world and nature were somehow God. God is separate from the world. He's the one who's made it. He's the one who's given life. He's the one who gives us life and wants to give us eternal life. So instead of worshipping the giver of life, what do they do? They actually choose to make contact with the dead. Have a look at verse 4. These are those who sit among the graves, spend their nights keeping secret vigil. I know the irony here. Last week... We were looking at the watchman. God appointed to be vigilant, to call out to him day and night, to call out to the living God. And here he says people are vigilant among the graves, among the dead. Over in verse 11 it carries on how these people forsake the Lord, they forget his holy mountain, and instead they spread a table for fortune. They fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny, to gods of the future. They want to know the future. A lot of us do. A lot of us are fascinated, aren't they, by, by the future. What does it hold in store for us? If only we knew the future, then we probably wouldn't make such fools of ourselves, maybe. Um, thinking of some of the amazing predictions that people have made in the past. Uh, Ken Olsen, president of uh, Digital Equipment Corps in 1977, said there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. Or even Bill Gates, who said should know better in 1981, 640K ought to be enough for anybody. Maybe it is for some. None of us knows the future, which is why it's best to trust in the God who does know the future, who holds it in his hands. And the worst thing, I think, about these people who reject God, it says here, is that they think they are holy. Have a look at verse 5. Those who say, keep away, don't come near me, for I am too sacred for you. Jesus reserved his harshest criticism for those who were guilty of hypocrisy, those who thought they were holy because they kept all the rules, often rules they devised themselves to make themselves look good. But God doesn't mince his words here. He tells them straight what he thinks of them. Such people, he says, are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that keeps burning all day. And they can't say that God didn't make himself known to them because actually they chose to ignore him. They chose to reject him, to follow their own ways, their own man-made religions, their own ways in which they are in control, ways in which they could find pleasure and satisfaction. Verse 12 says there, doesn't it? I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. He said earlier, one of the ways in which God um, revealed himself was his son. Yet even when people met his son face to face, still they chose to reject him. But there are a different group of people. These are described in the passage as God's servants, God's chosen ones. What is it that makes these people different? 
Have a look at verse 10. Because these are people who seek God. These are people who seek God. These are the ones who seek him. And Psalm 105 says this. It says, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Seeking the Lord, seeking his face really means to seek his presence. And in one sense, he is always present with us, isn't he? God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's also present um, in that he promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. He's with us. We can trust in him. But there's another sense in which he's not always present with us. And that is to do with our experience of God. Because although he doesn't change, we do change. There are things that get in the way of us seeing his glory, seeing his beauty, knowing his love. There are times when we don't put our complete trust in him and don't enjoy him to the extent we could if our hearts were fully turned towards him. And that is what seeking is about. It's the fixing of our hearts and our minds on God. Before he died, King David called all the leaders of Israel together and told them to help his son Solomon build the temple. And this is what he said to them in 1 Chronicles 22. He said, Is not the Lord your God with you? Has he not granted you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hands, and the land is subject to the Lord and to his people. Now, devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. God is with you. He's shown that in all that he's given you, now seek him. The New Testament equivalent can be found in Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on or seek things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on, seek things above, not on earthly things. Now that does require conscious effort because there are things in this life that are blocking us from seeking God. And that is why we need to go to the things in which God has chosen to reveal himself to us. The things we talked about earlier, think about his creation. It's wonderful to look at the beauty of what God has made and reflect on God. Think about his word. That is how he's revealed himself to us. Go to his word, reflect on Jesus Christ, meditate on Jesus Christ. We can't neglect the study of his word. And ourselves, um, as God's people, there is blessing in us, in each one of us. We can be encouragement to, to one another. Let's not neglect meeting with one another, because God has given us for one another as a gift. God is with us. He's made himself known to us. Therefore, we need to seek him. Whether it's for the first time, for maybe somebody here this morning, or whether you know God already, the command here is to continually seek him, to focus your heart and mind on him. Well, some choose to seek him, some choose to reject him, but all will receive the desires of their heart. The future for these two groups of people is very different. That is brought out in verse 13 onwards. In each contrasting statement you hear, you have here, Isaiah says first how God's people will be blessed, and then contrast that with those 
who reject him. My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry, cry out from anguish of heart and wail in brokenness of spirit. And when you read these contrasts, you think, why would anybody reject God and lose out on his blessings? Now, others may say, well, if God is such a loving God, why would he actually send anybody to hell? And it's amazing as you read through the Bible, though, just how patient God is with humankind. You know, we've started right at the beginning of chapter um, 65 here with that that confirmation all day long I've held out my hands consistently God holds out his hands in 2 Peter 3 it says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness instead he's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance Jesus wept over Jerusalem he looked to Jerusalem and said Jerusalem, Jerusalem you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. God will give us the desires of our heart. I said at the beginning, we all have choices. And each choice we make in this life that puts, us, um, puts ourselves first leads us away from God. And the more you continue down a path without God, the more you'll become absorbed in yourself, the more you'll grow in your your pride, in your self-pity, the more you'll think everybody else is wrong, the more you'll blame others for your problems. C.S. Lewis describes um, hell in this way. Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticise it in yourself and wish you could stop it. But there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticise the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. Well, the great news is that that trajectory can be stopped. God does have the power to do that. If we call out to him, if we seek him, then he does promise to save us. Steve testified to us the other week, didn't he, about the way God had changed his life. That he was in a position where he was trapped. He was um, addicted to drink. That it was his only way of escape. But God released him from that. He put his trust in Jesus as the one who came to defeat the power of sin and death. We can break that downward destructive spiral as we trust in him, as we accept his gift of forgiveness. Then those words right at the end of this chapter will be true for us. The past troubles have been forgotten and hidden from the eyes of God. That is a wonderful reassurance, isn't it? As we put our trust in Jesus, we've received new life 
And we received all these blessings that God promises to pour out on us. As it says here, my servants will rejoice. They will sing out of the joy of their hearts. That is what awaits the person who chooses to follow Jesus Christ. And I hope that you will know that joy for yourself as you choose to follow him. Well, next week we'll look um, more at what those blessings will look like in the new heavens and the new earth. But um, this morning now we're going to celebrate the life and the true freedom that Jesus has given us as we take communion together. I'm going to hand over to Mark to lead us in that.